Hey super friends and welcome to the 27th edition of the Geico podcast. I am your regularly scheduled host Neil and I'm here with Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. Dare I ask you what we're talking about this week? Did you read the the, the briefing notes? No but I remember seeing it. Well that's a step up from last week at least you can remember seeing it this time. Oh sassy pants are on already we've only just started. (laughs) Did you not me? Um Right, so we've got a bunch of news stories that we're going to talk about first. Are you um, going to do it in the news voice? No, I don't have a news voice. It's just my voice. It's what I sound like. You're always telling me I sound like I'm from the BBC. It's true. Thank you. Right, so on topic, news, new releases, and then we've got a whole bunch of films and some TV to review. No comic books this week because I don't think we've got time. Film-wise, you're going to talk about Frozen 2 that you went to see. Did you not? I did. Finish your hot chocolate. I'm practically frozen here. Right. I'm going to talk about 21 Bridges that I went to see, which is the new Chadwick Boseman film. Uh, there was another film we were going to be talking about this week, but I can uh, consult the list. Knives Out. I keep forgetting about Knives Out because I saw it like two months ago, but it's finally in the cinema now, so I, well, I could talk about it then, but it didn't feel very relevant at the time. TV-wise, we've got uh, The Mandalorian, of which I've seen the first four, you've seen the first three. And then the last couple of episodes of that little DC Universe show that we've been watching called uh, called Titans. So the whole reason we're releasing this podcast a couple of days late is because we thought, hang on a minute, let's uh, let's hang fire and uh, and get that Titans finale in there, kind of pretty much as soon as it's been on TV or well streamed. So we're going to talk about that, having literally just finished watching it. And we have just finished watching it. We have just finished watching it. Yes. On to the news. First up this week, we got what is being billed as a full trailer for Crisis on Infinite Earths. We're only two weeks away. Well, in fact, we're not even two weeks away now. It is It is next weekend. Is it next weekend? Yes. Oh yes. God. We've got one set of episodes to go and that's it. So there's Supergirl and Batwoman this weekend. And then there'll be a flash and an arrow. And then that's it. Crisis. God, you know what happens in a crisis? Uh, speedster dies. Well, no, you need your you need your team orange. You do, but a speedster always dies. Well, it's crisis. Anything could happen. It may not stick. That's very true. So, play the trailer. They're gone. Every second, another Earth dies. Let's go save the universe. This threat brings the annihilation of all life. Hope is the light that lifts us out of darkness. Oliver! We might lose the planet, but we can still save the people. It's not time! The battle is lost! Crisis on Infinite Earths. The CW's crossover event begins Sunday, December 8th. There's a lot to see, so I'll take it from the top. So it opens with uh, Star Labs being hit by the antimatter wave before we get to see Supergirl alongside Alex looking pretty upset, which made me think that maybe that was this was going to be um, Earth-38 that was getting wiped out because there's so many rumours that Supergirl is going to end up on our Earth having been left without a home. But actually, you see one of the monitors in the Wave Rider uh, that's sort of tracking the antimatter wave, and it shows Earth-73 as the Earth being destroyed. I don't think we've been to Earth-73 before. I don't think so. There was plenty of rumours that uh, it might have been Black Lightning's Earth, because it's never really been confirmed where he is, because he's not on the 
fringes of the Arrowverse as yet. But it would seem pretty harsh to try and introduce him in this crossover by killing off everyone that he knows. Because I don't think anybody from his supporting cast is in it. I think it's just him. So unless they were to reset it by the end of the crossover, it would be pretty harsh to kill off everything. Well, they might just reset. They need to have a reason for him to go into it. So what better reason than to wipe out the earth? True. Then we get a nice little montage of shots. You get to see some of Barry Allen talking to the other Barry Allen, the John Wesley ship version. Uh, there's the bat suit covered in cobwebs, which is interesting. It looks like... I actually think it might be a different suit to the one that uh, Kate Kane's wearing. It's difficult because you only see part of it. But certainly, I mean, obviously, it's not a cape that's got any red on it or anything. It's not a suit with any red because it's not hers. But it looks slightly different. Tara, I wonder if that could be uh, Kevin Conroy's Batman's old suit for when we meet him in the Batwoman episode. You get to see Kate Kane holding onto one of Cisco's um, dimension hopping little vibey devices. And then lots of montage shots, a bit of Tom Welling, a bit of Black Lightning. You get to see Barry Allen being thrown around a bit. There's lots of shots of cast members from The Flash being wiped out by the antimatter wave, but it just seems to be the footage from when Barry ran into the Speed Force earlier in the season. So reusing a bit of old footage. Yeah, I think they're just trying to make us think that Earth... Our, I was going to say Earth 2, that's already gone. Our Earth is being wiped out. Lots of monitor footage. Shot of a baby, then being held by Lois and Clark, the Tyler Hecklin version. So could that be Baby John? It could be. Are we finally going to meet John Kent? Will he be a major part of the old Lois and Clark series that's coming up that we were talking about last episode? John L. Yes. Hard to tell where they are. I'm guessing they're on Argo City. You see a kind of shot of them in in whatever place that they're living in, and it doesn't. It's not obvious as to where they are. That must be Argo, because that's where they went to, isn't it? They were. That's where we saw them last. You get to see the same footage of Kingdom Come Superman, uh, Brandon Rice, but this time we get to hear him speak rather than just a... We'd only seen kind of a still and a silent version of it before. And then there's just loads more action shots and it's all just a little bit emotional as Kara talks about saving a planet and Oliver says there isn't time. Highlight shot of the trailer for you? Biggest reveal? Um, I don't think there's any big reveals, but nice to see Brandon in, in his old soups again. Yep. Get to see a little bit of Tom Welling for just a microsecond. It's barely a couple of frames. <coughs> More excited about Brandon, to be fair. See the, your favourite of the Supermen in this? I think so, yeah. I was never a fan of Smallville. No, I suppose you weren't, were you? It was a bit too T4 for me. <laughs> it's a very... It's very Britishism. Well, that's what Channel was showing when I watched it. When I was it when I was a youngin. It's on T four on a Sunday morning. I like that they've not given too much away. So there's still plenty of things that we know have been confirmed that aren't in it. So you don't see Kevin Conroy, you don't see Ashley Scott. There's lots of things that we already know are happening that aren't in there, as well as hopefully other surprises. I still think it's weird that the logo at the end has uh, White Canary in the C, Flash in the R, Monitor in the I, Supergirl in the S. Batwoman in the other eye, and then the arrow symbol in the S at the end. But uh, Mark Guggenheim's been talking about it on Twitter and saying it was a whole marketing thing, and there was they weren't allowed to use footage of Oliver in that letter. So for some reason, the promo has no footage from Arrow, just 
the arrowhead. It just looks really out of place when you see the logo at the end of the trailer. Probably don't want to dwell too long on Crisis because I would imagine we're going to spend quite a lot of time on this in a couple of weeks. Maybe. Is it on the schedule where we're going to talk about it? I don't know. It seems like something people are going to want us to talk about. Oh, I suppose so. That'll be... I guess that'll be making up a lot of what happens in uh, episode 28. Next news story that I had on the list was uh, soundtracks for The Mandalorian and Watchmen. So both uh, you can actually listen to now. It turns out that Disney are releasing soundtracks to The Mandalorian each week. So as each episode premieres, they're releasing a short soundtrack onto streaming services. And I now, off the top of my head, can't remember the name of the composer. I'm going to have to look it up. It's uh, Ludwig Göransson. How could you not remember that? I know, he did the music for Black Panther. I should really remember his name because I quite like his score for Black Panther. Uh, so each week, as you watch a new chapter of The Mandalorian, you also get to listen to a new little uh, selection of tracks from the score. Each one is a little bit over 20 minutes, which when you consider that the shows themselves have only been 30 to 35 minutes so far, that's uh, that's quite a lot of music per episode. That's a lot of score. Yeah, it's a really good listen as well. It was it's one of the things that's kind of kept me watching the show when I wasn't too sure about it. Although I don't want to say too much because, you know, we'll be reviewing it in a minute. Um, but the music has been really, really good throughout. And then the Watchmen soundtrack. Uh, now, we've not talked about Watchmen on the podcast yet, which is because Martin really hasn't watched all that much. We've just seen episode three. Uh, episode six has just been on TV, so we're only halfway. Oh, my God. We're that far behind. Yes. It's taken you that long to watch it. Why? It's so good. I know. Well, we're going to wait till the end of the season, and then we'll do a season-long review. Oh, okay. Nine episodes. There's only three more to go. But you can listen to uh, the soundtrack to the first... I think it's the first three episodes now. Again, it's available on Apple Music, Spotify, and all streaming services. So Watchmen, Volume 1, music from the HBO series. And it's uh, it's by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Nine Inch Nails. Very, very cool music. It's a bit Stranger Things at times, um, just because it's got a slight 80s vibe to it, which is interesting when you consider that the comic was set in the 80s and this series is very much present day. But it's really, it's a really, really good listen. Um, I've posted up links to uh, most of it on the website, actually, so if you are looking to get hold of them, head over to getyourcomicon.co.uk. If you search for Watchmen or Mandalorian, you'll find stories that have got links to those in covered a fair amount of music recently in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. because we had the gears 5 music release as well the evanescence cover of the chain which was slightly self-serving just because i wanted to see if i could get a like from them but i didn't which is that a new branch get your music on <laughs> that, I, thought, I thought we had get your musical on that's slightly different oh right okay well <laughs> is that because one of them is for music that you like which would be musical and the other one is for music that I like, which would be music. Oh, no, I like all music. I don't like to narrow my focus like you. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Well. Next news story on the list, before I take a wild offence to what you're saying. Stargirl. What about her? Coming to the CW. Yeah, that was weird. But is it weird? This yeah. is This is the thing. Is, I don't think it's as strange as people think it is. So the new story here is that after months of rumours and a couple of delays to the premiere, uh, Stargirl will be coming out probably, I think, around April next year. New episodes will debut each week on DC Universe, as all the DC Universe shows do. 
but the night after it premieres on the streaming platform, you'll then be able to watch the episode on the CW. So it'll be on network TV. But, I don't know, you're the glass half empty here and I'm the glass half full. I see that as, uh, if you're watching it, there's going to be an advantage to if you're not using DC Universe going and signing up to it because you'll get to see the episode early. Other people see it as, well, the streaming service is failing, so they're just selling off their stuff to the TV. I wouldn't see it as the streaming service is failing. I'd just be really worried that it's going to become a bit like Flash and Arrow. Well, it's not and make... not like Titans and Doom Patrol. Yeah, you say that, but Greg Berlanti, um, who is the mastermind behind the Arrowverse alongside Guggenheim, is an executive producer on all the DC Universe shows. His name is on Titans, it's on Stargirl, it's on Doom Patrol. I don't think it's on Swamp Thing, though, to be fair, actually. Um, but his name's on most of those programmes. It's not due to be set in the Arrowverse, so it has now been confirmed that she's going to debut in Crisis. Mm. She so will, be, will be in the Arrowverse. She will, well, no, she doesn't have to be in the Arrowverse. They said she will appear in Crisis, and that will uh, explain her place within the wider DC live-action universe. Think, but you got to think about it. Like Smallville is going to be in crisis, but it's not being brought into the Arrowverse. Well, see, so now we're just getting a bit weird now because the Arrowverse spans different Earths. So by that definition, well, no, it, it doesn't. Spans does it? everything, then, doesn't it? Arrowverse is the shows. That's what we call the shows. Well, when we talk about crisis, though. Yeah, Earth One is the Arrowverse. Earth. Two has been seen and characters have come from it, but other things outside what we know as the Arrowverse are in the multiverse. If you think about it, Arrowverse is just the the way the fans have started labelling this series of shows. It's not what we're calling this version of the multiverse. It's just what these shows are. It's like Buffy. Buffy and Angel are called the Buffyverse. If it crossed over with Firefly, Firefly wouldn't be in the Buffyverse. It would be the wider Whedon world. That'd be a weird crossover. It would be a very weird crossover, but you know what I mean? Batman 89 is going to be part of the crossover, but it's not going to be part of the Arrowverse. Essentially, we're saying it's the DC universe, and the Arrowverse is part of that. I doubt she'd probably never cross over with them ever again. All it said was that she will be appearing in Crisis and it will it will define her place within the wider DC universe. There's also nothing to say that the versions of this show that are going to air on the CW aren't edited to shorten them down either. Because we know that DC universe shows are sometimes longer than 42, 43 minutes. So it might be an edited version on TV and unedited on DC universe. I just, I, To me it sounds like an interesting way to get people interested and to get them to check out the service. But others see it as another sign that the service is going to get shut down very soon. Despite the fact that Harley Quinn just started and has 26 episodes, and Titans has another series, and Doom Patrol has another series. So I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I guarantee that just because I've spoken about DC Universe, someone will tell me off and say that it has to go international for it to be successful, which, you know, is an argument for another day that I do not wish to get involved in. There are ways and means to watch it. <laughs> If you want to watch it. Too many big arguments. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Do not mention that on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not one of those people. I don't believe it's real. 
Last on the news today is uh, Warner Brothers release of Godzilla vs Kong. So this year we went to see Godzilla King of the Monsters, as you will remember, and it has a follow-up which pits Godzilla against King Kong. It was due out in, I think it was April, it's been pushed back eight months so it's now not releasing until November of next year. So there's loads of rumours suggesting that the maybe so-so reception to the last one that didn't do quite as well at the box office as supposedly Warner Brothers hoped has meant they've gone back to make a few changes. Considering they finished filming it either beginning of this year or end of last year because they filmed back to back, it would suggest pushing it back is something to do with spending more time working on it, maybe. Is it like a Sonic situation where the CGI is probably just not quite right? I don't know, because I think if you... I know you weren't a massive fan of Godzilla um, King of the Monsters, but that CGI wasn't wasn't bad. That was a really well-made film, I thought. I wonder if they were adjusting some of the story, maybe. Be adding some story in. Oh, <laughs> adding some story in, yes. Shady lady. Well, no, I mean, because when we went to the the screening of it, yep. and what's his face? Charles Dance. Yes. Was he's like, oh, I'm a bad man, and I've got a, and I've got a history. A history that we never saw. We didn't see any of that. No. But it's good that they're taking the time to fix it if they think there's something that they can they can fix with it. Rather than this... I think there's this stupid perception that when a film goes back and does some reshoots or delays something in order to change things, that that means it's not very good. And though you could argue they've taken a look at it and it they don't quite feel it's right, would you rather that they don't try and fix it? It's a very strange perception that I think is out there in the in the realm of Twitter and social media, which is, we've spent a hundred million on a film. We're okay with it, but we think it could be a bit better, so we're happy to spend a bit more and to delay it for you creative people to go back and make it even better. But that seems to be a bad thing. Well, people just like to moan about things, don't they? Whenever they latch on to something, that well, rubbish. Well, yeah, there is that. Doomed. It's just, it's very strange that people think that studios taking the time to do something and change something isn't necessarily a good thing. Hopefully something like Sonic, like you just mentioned, actually, might change that because there should be a very positive attitude towards the fact that that was a really badly received trailer. And instead of going ahead with it and saying, no, you will like it, it'll be good. They said, you know what, actually, all right, we'll change it. And... Apparently it wasn't very far along in the CGI process, so it wasn't a huge amount of money to fix it, but they still bothered to fix it. And that's a that's a good thing in my book. But they couldn't leave it, I mean, my god. Those little gnashes. That was scary. <laughs> that was Sonic the horror movie. That's it for news this week. Uh, I'm just going to rattle off a few new releases. So, Watchmen, the ultimate cut, has now been released in the UK on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital from Warner Brothers. Um, we just picked it up on iTunes. It's actually available on iTunes now for four ninety nine, and this is it includes the theatrical version as well, and it's the director's cut, but they've added in the um, I've now forgot the name of it, the animated feature that was also went alongside the director's cut into one what they're calling ultimate cut. Hobbs and Shaw from Universal has just been released on digital in the UK. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming out on the 7th of December. Game of Thrones Season 8 and Game of Thrones Complete Final Series is out on DVD and Blu-ray on the 3rd of December. So that will be coming soon. There's a very, very sexy 
complete series box set that's currently retailing for three hundred pounds, but it's that wooden box that I showed you the trailer of the other day. Oh, that'd be on the wish list. No, don't buy it, but it'd go on the wish list. <laughs> you already own the rest of the series. Not in a box though. <laughs> Uh, Teen Titans, the complete series, just came out on Blu-ray in America. Oh, sorry, no, it's coming out on the 3rd of December. So that is the early 2000s animated series. You can buy individual seasons at the moment, but they've gone back and they've done a complete series re-release into, into one box. And also out now, following on a similar theme, Young Justice Outsiders has just hit Blu-ray in America as well. So you can pick that up if you weren't able to watch the series on DC Universe. Those are my new releases for this week. Let us know what you're picking up. Find us on social media at Get Your Comic On. We'd love to know what you're watching, reading, listening, doing, seeing. Any other words, adjectives that I've missed? Constructing. Playing. 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 (laughs) Let us know. I'm very sad you didn't do the new releases voice. I don't have a new releases voice. We'll have to find an effect on, uh, on GarageBand that will do it for me. New releases. Coming soon to home video. So, first review, uh, we're going to talk about a film that you went to see a couple of weeks ago that I haven't seen, because I'm not that interested, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, Super Friends, but we're going to talk about Frozen 2. Far away, as north as we can go, once stood an enchanted forest. You've seen an enchanted forest? Yes, it was a magical place, but something went wrong. Since then, no one can get in or out. Wow. Papa, that was epic. What would I do without you? You'll always have me. Has Elsa seemed weird to you? She seems like Elsa. There's this voice. Voice? What does that mean? not safe. Find who is calling to you. They may have answers. I'm going with you. Anna? No. Excuse me, I climbed the North Mountain, survived a frozen heart, and saved you from my ex-boyfriend, so, you know, I'm coming. That's normal. Where are we? How did you get in the forest? The mist parted for us. Impossible. Where did you learn magic? Elsa, get out of there! You can't just follow me into fire. Then don't run into fire. Magic is very alluring. Without you, she may lose herself to it. Protect Arendelle at all costs. I believe in you, Elsa, more than anyone or anything. Quick question. Is the whole putting us in mortal danger going to be a regular thing? Frozen 2 is in cinemas worldwide now and stars Kristen Bell as Anna 
Adina Menzel as Elsa, Josh Gad as Olaf, and Jonathan Groff as Kristoff. The film is directed by Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck, who also wrote it. And I believe they were the people who did the first one. They were. I wouldn't know, because I haven't even seen the first one. They were there when we went to see it. Yeah, so, right. Do you want to tell the listeners at home, first of all, where and when you saw this film? So I went to see it at the BFI on the South Bank, which was very fancy. Was it the same screen that we saw Shazam in when we went it to was the premiere? A, yes, it was. Yeah. Very nice. It was. I was uh, very lucky enough to go along with Nicola from the Hulks. Very nice. I nice... was there for Nando's beforehand. You were there for Nando's, yeah. It was almost like a, a podcast date night. <laughs> Just missing Chris. Just missing Chris, yeah. Although then I went home and you replaced me, so... Well, I didn't want you to be miserable through the film and be like, oh, they're singing again. <laughs> it's fair to say I'm not a big fan of a musical, no. Why are they singing? So you had a and a with the directors? We did, so there was the director, there was the producer and the writer. And what did you learn? So the, the Q&A was at the end. I learned quite a lot, actually. I didn't realise it took them six years to make it. So has it been six years since the first one? Because it's taken them that long to make it. Mm, okay. And it took them six years to make the first one as well. Wow. Well, it's no wonder they're not in a rush to make a third one then. No, because somebody did ask, is there going to be a Frozen 3? And they're like, oh god, it took us six years to make this. Well, you can imagine, that would be 18 years of their lives to make just three films. It's a lot. It's a yeah. long time. What else did you learn? I learned that it took the combined computing power of Disney and Google to render the film because it was so complicated. Wow. Now, apparently it's very difficult to animate um, ice they explain what in particular? That to invent new technology to do it. So, so there's a scene where so it's about the elements of the woods of the woods. The woods. The woods. Elements yes. of the woods. Elements of the woods. So one of the elements is water. Yeah. And they've got this really cool like seahorse, but like an actual horse, not a seahorse. I've heard about this. Does she ride a horse on water? Yeah, so the horse, so it's a water horse in the water. So when it's under the water, you can see a horse. But apparently that's incredibly difficult to animate a horse made out of water in the water. Oh, right, okay. So they had to invent new technology to do it. I said, well, who knew? Mm. Any other interesting tidbits that we learned? Did you ask a question in the Q&A? No, they're only taking questions from children. That's quite nice, actually. But the, some of the kids were asking some really intelligent questions. I thought it was like, oh, what's Elsa's favourite food? <laughs> what's her favourite colour? But it was like really hard-hitting questions. Like, why didn't Anna propose to Kristoff? To why did Kristoff have to propose to Anna? Like, oh my God, that's, that's a very intelligent question for such a young child. Wow, yeah. Any other interesting questions that were asked by the children? Um, not that I can remember, but they were very hard-hitting questions. Hmm. So, tell us a bit about the film. So, the film is set uh, straight after, well, kind of a couple of years after the first one. Okay. Um, it sets off where they're all happy, you know, things are going well yeah. in the kingdom, but, you know, an adventure is calling again. So, something to go into the unknown. And is it um, a convenient method of telling a sequel, or is it? does it feel quite organic? To follow on from the first one. Yeah, it feels very organic because we find out what happened to their mum and dad. Who, I gather, are not the mum and dad from Tarzan. No. That was a question. So is there a rumour that they... Did they disappear on a boat then, I guess? Yeah, so the boat was destroyed. Yeah. 
and then they were not sure what happened in the boat. They were lost at sea. So there was a weird rumour then that they washed up on a desert island and had another child who grew up to be Tarzan. Yeah, I think the writer said that he apologised for starting that rumour. Uh, he okay. said it was a joke, but you can't make jokes on the internet. No, you can't make jokes on the internet. So that kind of put the end to that theory. But no, it kind of looks at their history and it looks at the history of Ailsa and how she got her powers and how it moved forward. So really good. Okay, so highlight moment. So we've got a new song, obviously, that's trying to take over from that other song, your favourite one. No, yeah. Yeah. Did you say that they mocked that song? They did. They mocked a lot of it. So even during the Q&A, they're like, we will not mention that song. That song will go unnamed. Mm, okay. And then there's a scene towards the end of the film where it kind of comes back. He's like, nope, we're not singing that one. And it's going to move on to the next thing. So it's quite funny. Interesting. So they understand that they created a cultural phenomenon that has ruined many parents' lives. Yeah. But it's the same writers as last time. So it's the same theme for music. I think there's probably slightly more music in this one as well. Oh, that's interesting. But there's still a nice heavy hitting. I was going to say, so are there? Is there a song that rivals it that shall not be named? Yes. Well, you've heard it significantly in the last couple of weeks. Oh, is that the song that Panic at the Disco also cover? Yes. Okay, and they sing it better than Idina Menzel, in my humble opinion. Well, your opinion's wrong. But well done for saying her name right. <laughs> Nadim Kazim. <laughs> no. Oh dear. Oh, um, poor John. Okay, uh, so did, and you also said that you thought this was better than the first one? Yeah, it was. I really, I think it was much better. I think it's got more comedy. Yeah. There was more Olaf. I do love Olaf and his warm hugs. Uh, but he has some really good comedic scenes, so he, he essentially summed up the whole of the last film in about 30 seconds. Yeah. It was very funny. Had a little, little chortle in the cinematic. <laughs> a chortle? A chortle, yes. Well... No. Was there anything about it that you weren't so keen on? Any any low points? No. Well, okay. Nothing, nothing, literally nothing at all that you would criticise. No. Wow. Um, score out of ten. I'm going to give it a a really high eight. I think. A high eight. A high eight. Rather than a low eight. Not a low eight. A high eight, like an eight point nine. If we were to do points, but we're not going to do that. Okay, and um, why not a 10 then, if there's nothing that you would criticise? Hard-hitting question. That is a hard-hitting question. I just feel like it would be a high 8. Mm-hmm. I would have liked a bit more... Olaf? Yeah, more Olaf would have got up to a 10, I think. Okay. Maybe more... I would have liked a bit more from... We hear a lot about the backstory of, you know... Of our LGBT status, but none of that was really touched on. Oh, okay. As in, so the were the creators talking about it? No, but you hear a lot about. It. I mean, it's been spoken about before, hasn't it? Yeah, but it's not something that's actually discussed in the film. No. Okay, that's interesting. I'm sure that will disappoint a lot of people. Yeah. So that would be nice to have maybe even acknowledge that a little bit more. I mean, I suppose they kind of did in a in a metaphorical way when she spoke about sort of relationships in general, but it was never sort of outrightly. Mentioned. Mentioned. Okay. And I would have liked Anna to have proposed and not have Christoph propose. Just to really keep that Keep sort the of, message. Keep the message. From the last one, that doesn't have to be the prince. Yeah. But it was still very much uh, leading ladies were in charge. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I'm At some point in life, I might bother to watch 
both of them. Oh, but I couldn't see it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do I need to see the first one first? Oh, let's watch the first one, just because you won't understand anything that's happened. Okay. You don't really have to, but we'll make you do it anyway. I look forward to it. So as we said, uh, Disney's Frozen 2 is in cinemas worldwide now. You can pick up the soundtrack uh, on streaming services, iTunes, Amazon, CD, probably even cassette these days, because you know it's back in fashion, uh, where all good soundtracks are sold. An LP. And we're going to take you to see the first one and the second one. And then you can go into the unknown. <laughs> as long as it's the Panic at the Disco version. Over in TV land, let's uh, pick up on Disney Plus. So we'll stay with Disney first for The Mandalorian. Mm. So Disney's The Mandalorian stars um, Pedro Pascal from Game of Thrones, or as I like to remember him, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as the titular Mandalorian. Is that who The Mandalorian is? Yeah. Oh. Oberon Martell. Well, he never takes his helmet off. You never know. It could be anybody. He's not allowed to take his helmet off. It's all explained in episode four that you've not seen yet. Okay. <laughs> the series debuts new episodes on Fridays on Disney Plus at the moment. Uh, it has just aired its fourth episode. There are eight episodes in season one. That platform obviously does not exist outside of certain countries yet, but it is coming to the UK in March of 2020. So from March, we will have the entire first season available for UK viewers. But we have been lucky enough to see the first few. I have seen one more than you have. What are your initial thoughts on The Mandalorian? Uh, You're not really feeling it, are you? No. I have to admit that I watched the first one and I didn't really like it. I watched it a second time and appreciated it a little bit more. I thought episode two was better, but far too short. And I thought episode three was better again. And I would say that I have genuinely enjoyed episode four. Okay. I'm just not feeling it. What is it about the series that you're not feeling? I just don't feel like anything's happening. A lot happens in episode four, to be fair. Which, so it's probably unfair that we're doing this before you've seen this most recent one. But I do, I agree. I think particularly the first two episodes were far too slow. Apart from, and I think we're allowed to talk about it now because pretty much everyone knows about it. Baby Yoda. Mm, youngling he is. <laughs> you can do that all the way through. Mm, possibly. <laughs> I thought that was a great way to end the first episode. But then I didn't feel like they capitalised on that excitement very well in the second one. No. Episode three, I think I enjoyed because that character was in jeopardy for most of it. Which was episode three again? So episode three was the one where he took... Uh, the the young Yoda back to the pe- the people who'd hired him to find it and handed it over oh, and then yeah. went to leave it behind and changed his mind and went back and rescued him. Mm, it was a big fight. Yes. Right. But my major concern for this program at this point is this isn't Star Wars Baby Yoda. This is Star Wars The Mandalorian and my perception is changing slightly with episode four but for those first three... I don't really feel like The Mandalorian is the reason that people would watch it. No, people want to watch it for the Baby Yoda. I feel like you tune into the first one for it. And then come back for the second and third one because of Baby Yoda. Yeah, that's and that's the a concern. I would go back for it. Just to find out what happens with 
maybe Yoda. Which is a worry, because I don't feel like they've done enough on that character yet. But I do think that episode four has improved it slightly. So let's just take him one at a time. So episode one, where we first meet him, very quiet episode, because he doesn't really speak all that much. He's, it's quite a solitary show, apart from certain key scenes. And I think that is particularly a problem for that one, that you want to get lots of backstory and lots of context, and you don't really get given any of that. I didn't really like some of the humour. So the opening scene where he's got somebody on his ship and the guy's like, oh, I bet you've never seen me take a dump before, basically. Oh, that whole com- like empty his thorax. Yes. I didn't like that. I thought that was really dumb. And I also didn't then like when... Um, oh, sorry, actually slightly before that, when he was taking him to his ship and they brought through the sexy speeder and he was like, no, I, I want a rust bucket. I didn't really... Some It was just really clunky humour to begin with. But that's something that they seem to have moved away from very, very quickly. I didn't feel episode two had much of that. Three had even less. And now with episode four, we just seem to be sourcing most of our humour from Baby Yoda fiddling with things on the ship when he's not supposed to. Oh, we got the ball. That was quite funny. I quite like that. There's a very similar scene at the start and end of episode four where he just keeps flicking switches in the Mandalorian ship and he's like, he just keeps picking him up and moving him away. And then he's like, Button I push. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm very impressed by the fact that it's an um, uh, animatronic puppet it's and not it? CGI. I'm sure there's a couple of moments where it might be CGI where they need it to do things that are quite complex. But on the most part, it's a it's a physical puppet that's on set. Is that a Jim Henson? I doubt it. Hmm. Might be. I don't know for sure. I mean, Jim Henson's been dead for a long time, but it could come from his company. Well, his his workshop lives on. Yes. I also think that the production overall is very impressive. uh, Reportedly, it cost around $100 plus to make the whole series. And I do think the CGI is... The VFX are all very top-notch. It looks like a film. It feels like a film in that respect. I also think they've taken a lot of care and attention over the set design and how the worlds are all populated. There's lots of little creatures from Star Wars. There's a lot of things that happen where you can easily be watching the background of scenes and pick up on things that are Star Wars related. Now remind me, this is set after Jedi. Yep, this is between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Closer to Jedi. So we're going to see the fall of the Empire... They've technically already fallen. Well, because we've seen the people trying to get Baby Yoda. Yeah. Because they're like the ex, the remains of so the leftovers. Yeah. And will we get to see the rise of the First Order? Or is they going to? Are we going to? Are they going to make another film just for that and you know, really bleed this, this franchise? I don't know. It's tough to say. Um, there's been a lot of rumours that we'd see some of the First Order in this. It could. I mean, they could be. The, the only other announced series that they have for Star Wars are Cassian Andor, who's the character from Rogue One, so it can't be him, because he obviously died before A New Hope, um, and Obi-Wan, who died in A New Hope. So if it's going to be anywhere and it's going to be on TV, it's going to be in um, in this series. And do you think they'll try and link this series with the films? This is where a lot of intrigue, I think, comes around the Baby Yoda character, because... 
we've gone through that whole is it actually Yoda, which it can't be, because we know that he's this baby is fifty, which will sound confusing to anybody that's not seen it, but you know, aging differently. And we're not fifty years after Jedi, because I think there are only around forty years between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens in terms of time that's lapsed in the that world. So this creature has to have been born before Yoda died. Could mean that it's the child of. So they don't know how they reproduce. We have no idea. But we do know that he has force powers from episode 2 where he lifts the cave monster. One other thing that I do really like about it is the fact that they've pitched it slightly more on a Rogue One tone than the main Skywalker saga films. It's not as colourful. The music, which I which I've really enjoyed, is not you know, it's not mimicking John Williams. It's very much its own entity and it's something that's a little bit more serious within the world of Star Wars. But uh, how do you feel about that? Um Yeah. It's a bit darker. It's a bit more rogue winny. Yeah. I'm just really struggling with it, I'll be honest with you. I can't seem to engage with it at all. <laughs> Whenever you mention it, I just switch off and say, like, oh. Why is. Oh, but you weren't particularly interested in watching it to begin with. No, I just don't see the need for it. Okay. Are you not interested in exploring other facets of the sort of Star Wars universe? You can say no. No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I think we're going to have nine films in the main franchise, two yep. spin offs. Yep. We're going to get another three TV series. It yep. feels like a bit too much. I like to have a little bit that I can get excited about to see it. I don't want to be sort of Star Wars in your face all the time. Yeah, well, that makes sense. you got film, film, TV series, Baby Yoda, Baby something else. Chewbacca? Baby Chewbacca. Yeah, that'd be next. Baby Chewbacca. I bet you. Pitch that to Disney+. Plus. Star Wars Babies. It is okay to not like it. You're going to have to watch episode four regardless, uh, see what you make of it at that point. Um, I just think they slightly misjudged the amount of character that needed to go into it at the beginning. And to start bringing it in at episode four, it's going to have turned a lot of people off. I can see why people have loved it, because it is very Star Wars lore heavy, but not in a heavy handed way. I just mean it's all there if you want to look for it, which is quite nice. I just think that... It hasn't decided how much it wants to lean on old Star Wars as a crutch, and Baby Yoda is a bit too much of a crutch, albeit one that I can't help but watch and do love at the same time. I think that makes it a bit of a double-edged sword. Well, because you want to see what happens. I'm more interested about Baby Yoda than I am about the Mandalorian. Yeah. I couldn't really care about him. I want to know what happens to Yoda. And that's a concern for the show going forwards, if this character's only going to be in Season 1, maybe. If, um, there are rumours that, because they're in production on Series 2 at the moment, there are rumours that he is still on set. So whether it's something that's going to be the long arc of the series. Well, if he's a puppy, he could just be there on set, couldn't he? Wait, in theory, yeah. Um, I just think it doesn't. it's not quite been what I expected it to be. And I'm not hung up on the length of the episodes, but the fact that it's varied real, really wildly between 41 minutes, which was this week's episode four, and sort of 25, 26 minutes without credits, it's... This is. I'm going to say something and it's probably going to piss people off. 
but I'm going to say it regardless, and someone will call me a fanboy for it, but this is Disney. This is Disney who own Star Wars, owns Marvel, owns Fox, owns Pixar. And this is their flagship platform that they want to be the rival to Netflix, to Amazon Prime. Yes, we've got The World According to Jeff Goldblum, which I'm loving watching as well, which is, you know, 30 minutes or so every week, which is great. But in terms of, for people of our age and above, or people who are interested in Marvel and interested in Star Wars, all you have on that platform at the moment is The Mandalorian, which has four episodes left, and then it ends. Marvel are only just in production on their first show, which is not due until late next year. So we're talking about having only a potentially four-hour block of entertainment released by them in the first few months and then a gap before something else comes along and it's just not quite landing how I think it should and you look at DC Universe and I'm not saying this on purpose because I'm a DC fan this is just this is a genuine observation for me that platform is much less large in scale has much less of a budget and is basically an in-house creation from DC within Warner. We've had in 14, 15 months, Titans, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Young Justice, Harley Quinn, all run back to back, or in some cases overlapping. So we've had a new scripted show every week, be it a 40 minute or a 30 minute, and DC Daily every day for over 300 episodes. They can put out new content every single day, albeit a smaller amount on a daily basis, but every week there is something new. And Disney don't quite seem to have that sort of lineup ready to go, and that seems like a mistake to me. I suppose they're relying heavily on the catalogue. And it's a very Le- impressive catalogue. It's a very impressive legacy content. Uh, I'm watching all of my classic 90s Marvel cartoons, all of the classic Disney films are on there, it's great. But new content is is lacking for a new service. I think they should have prepared themselves with more. Just saying. You're entitled to your opinions. Some people may disagree. Anything else you want to say about The Mandalorian? No. I think it's worth a watch. Give it a chance. I almost think it's worth waiting until the whole series is out and watching it as a binge watch. I think they may have miscalculated and it should have been a drop the whole season and binge watch it situation but that obviously would have meant no new content for weeks after it first came out so maybe a bit of an issue just a reminder the mandalorian drops new episodes every friday via disney plus and will come to the uk in march of 2020 with the launch of that service for us back to the cinemas I am going to tell you about a film that I went to see a couple of weeks ago, which is called 21 Bridges. Your father died protecting this city. He taught you to follow your conscience in an often cruel world. What happened? Worst day in 18 years. How many cops? Hayes. Why were they here? They responded to a robbery. Shot fired! Shot fired! Officers are down! Automatic weapons, two shooters. They have training. How old were you when your father's captain came? I asked for you for a reason. 
I will find him. We just killed cops. You need to run. We gotta move fast. Cars not ours, plates are stolen. If we will catch these guys in the next three or four hours, they vanish. How you gonna do this? Close the island. Got 21 bridges in and out of Manhattan. Shut them down. Three rivers, close them. Four tunnels, block them. Stop every train and loop the subways. Then we flood the island with blow. Mask on, Mask None of this makes sense. The bid was for 30 keys. We walked into 300. Mask They'll have to open Manhattan by morning. Eight dead policemen is one thing, but the stock market losing billions of dollars is quite another. This whole thing is filthy. You know how mean you gotta be to move 300 kilos of cocaine? Oh, my God. What is going on here? I just need the truth, that's all. They told me you were fearless. The guy who kills cop killers. Sees his dad and every cop who dies. Nobody approaching? He's mine! Police, out of the way! Move! They're not gonna escape this island. You're the only cop tonight who speaks first and shoots second. I will find out why didn't I happen. Twenty One Bridges is written by Adam Mervis and Matthew Michael Carnahan, with a story that was also by Adam Mervis. It was a story adapted into a screenplay. I didn't quite phrase that properly, did I? Uh, and it's directed by Brian Kirk. It stars Chadwick Boseman, Sienna Miller, J.K. Simmons, Stephen James. Taylor Kitsch, Keith David, and Alexander Siddig. It also has a little cameo appearance from Victoria Carter... I'm going to say this wrong. Victoria Cartagena, who was uh, Rene Montoya for like the first three episodes of Gotham. Remember when Rene Montoya was in Gotham? Vaguely. And she was dating Barbara Keane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she turned up in this film as well. But I need to remember to say that 21 Bridges is in cinemas worldwide now. Question me on it. What's that about? Uh, so, whoa, what isn't it about? Briefly. So it's a cop drama. Chadwick Boseman's character, Andre Davis, um, starts out in a flashback. He witnessed he's at his um, father's funeral. His father was a cop, got killed on the beat. He grows up to be a cop. He's uh, very much a straight-edged cop who uh, does not stand for any sort of nonsense and roots out cop killers and dodgy cops. Doesn't stand for any malarkey. No. Uh, He gets called in when what looks like a drug uh, smuggling raid goes completely wrong. It looks like a bunch of cops walk in on some drugs being shipped around New York. There's a huge shootout and people get killed, so he's called in to look at it. He thinks everything's not quite right, and it basically just follows him as he investigates... Uh, this drug ring but what they do is um, the the cop killers get chased into Manhattan so they shut all the bridges which is why it's called 21 bridges they shut all 21 bridges to the island they also shut uh, the rivers and they well I say they shut the rivers they put boats out to stop people from escaping on boats and uh, they shut s- water <laughs> block that build a dam um, and they also shut off the subway as well to keep them on the island so then it's like it's sort of a hostage type drama in that they're just chasing them around the island trying to catch them but there's some conspiracy and there's some other stuff that's going on. 
and you basically learn the picture as to what's happening as you go along. Interesting. What were your highlights? Chadwick Boseman is great. He's really good in it. He plays the character with a lot of conviction. If I'm, if I remember rightly, he is an executive producer on the film as well. Uh, so I'm guessing it's something that he really believed in as an idea. He was really, really good in it. Believed everything that he did. Some great action in it as well at times. It's not a huge action film. It's more of a, what do you call it? A suspense thriller, maybe psychological crime drama. It's not psychological. It's not. It's not a psychological film. I wouldn't say. Um, crime drama. It's yeah. It's a. It's a suspenseful crime drama. What were your low lights? Sienna Miller. Okay. <laughs> I, I, it sounds harsh. I've never really rated her as an actress. I'm sure she's a lovely person. Um, but she is very British. Is she like, oh, bloody hell, they've shut yes. the bridges, governor. Well, no, she's trying to do a New York accent. Oh. And it's it's just really jarring. So like when you try to do a New York accent. I'm not going to try, but yes, it would be. Um because she, she's a very well-spoken British person and she just, it's just, it just really doesn't sound right at all. Oh at all, unfortunately. Um, but to be fair, probably one of the, accent aside, one of the best films I've seen her in. Oh, that's a good take, though. It's also very predictable. Um, we pre- So I went with Nicola to see this um, and we were laughing because someone tweeted at us to say you sat next to each other because our pictures of the screen were obviously basically the exact same angle. Um, why wouldn't we be sat together? Well, exactly. Who else would you want to sit next to? <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just, it was really easy to guess each stage. There were a couple of twists that you couldn't quite predict, maybe, um, or not fully predict, but it you pretty much knew where it was going to end right from the beginning. But it didn't ruin the enjoyment of the film. We both said the same thing, which was, yes, it's really obvious where this is going, but actually really enjoying it. Okay. What would you score it? Ooh. Uh, oh, we didn't score The Mandalorian. Um, oh, best not to ask me that question. <laughs> I haven't actually finished writing my review of this. I would probably give it a six. If not, maybe a seven. Oh, um, give us your give us your social media review caption. Oh, um, I did. I did. Um ooh. I said that 21 Bridges is a mixed bag of intense action and heavy melodrama. The predictable story is elevated by Bozeman's passionate performance, resulting in an enjoyable yet flawed movie-going experience. Well, get you, Mr. Fancy Pants. One other thing that I would say about this film is um, it has a very strange score. In what way? Does it, it have a, a, um, a ukulele? <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't say it has a ukulele. A kazoo? No, it has a very almost James Bond style score. Okay. So it's like I just said in that tweet review that it's at times melodramatic. The film is pitched as a street level cop drama, right? It's very urban. It's on the streets. It's hand to hand combat. It's there's nothing kind of. Um, there's no gadgets, there's no espionage about the whole thing. But the music is very, very melodramatic for it. It's very over the top and it's great. It's really, really great music. I really enjoyed it and that's a soundtrack I want to listen to but it's not a soundtrack I wanted to listen to whilst watching that film. Oh, fair enough. And I don't know that I've ever had that before. I've been to see films where I've not liked the score and I've been to see films where I've loved the score 
don't think I've ever been to a film where I've thought, really love that music, but it doesn't belong here. It's very weird. Very, very weird. Probably the most jarring thing about the whole experience. Interesting. Worse than the New York accent from Sienna Miller. Well, not worse in that I didn't like it. Just um, probably took me out of the film more than her accent. Very unsettling. Yes. Yes. Very harsh. Okay. Do you want to dip back into the world of TV? Let, let's dip it all back in. The Titans has finished its second season. It's all over. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I know. I don't know if I'm ready for this either. So we have to talk about the last three episodes. Oh, can we just talk about the last one? No, let's. we'll, we'll quickly go over the last two okay. before that. So, third to last episode, ELO. So that was while Stick was in isolation, um, having visions of Bruce and the uh, Lady Titans coming back together and trying to form a plan. The Lady Titans. That's, what, what else would you call them? It's all the female Titans. Yeah, right Female Titans doesn't feel very nice. They're all ladies. I'll give you that, yeah, the Lady Titans. So this was the weird in the desert... Yes, this was Diner in the Desert. Diner in the Desert. Not Diner in the Desert, but a Diner in the Desert. Yes. If it was Diner in the Desert, that would have taken the series to a whole different place. Yes, no Black Canaries involved. No, just the other ladies. Yes. So Bruce Wayne... Being wrote, very Bruce Wayne. Yes, reached out to each of the Lady Titans and called them back. So Hawk and Dove had broken up, Dawn was driving away, she threw all of his stuff away and then took back the picture of the four of them, uh, Hank, Dawn, Dick and Donna... Um, Corey was in her apartment in a hotel once again. She does love a, a penthouse suite, doesn't she? Oh, with the psychiatrist. With the psychiatrist, yeah. Don't know, disco groove on again. Yes, yeah. and then she got the call to also go to the diner. Rachel was having nightmares about Dick being killed by Slade, and uh, Donna got the phone call asking her to go to the diner. Um, and all the meanwhile, Dick was in isolation, clearly suffering with some sort of fever or something. Well, they got like a bit of prison belly or something. Prison belly. Yeah, the food's not great. It's a nice no, this is true. So he was having visions of Bruce, and then they had an amazing fight between Ian Glenn and Brenton Thwaites. Yes. Yeah, so and I now believe he could be Batman. He could be Batman. I take back everything I said before. That was a proper smackdown. That was the, that was a moment where, that was like a Dick and Jason smackdown. Where yeah. Like, no, on the floor. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> it was good. This is like, um, I am Batman. Sorry, it's Alex. Son. I do think it was a bit of a a lull. Before we got into the final two episodes, I do think the two, the, the, the little prison saga, as helpful as it was to push Dick towards being Nightwing, um, was not the high point of the season. No, that could have been condensed a bit, I think. Yeah, it could. But um, we got that really cool scene where he stood up in the prison cell and the shadow behind him was like bird's wings, which I quite liked. I appreciated the fact that it really pushed him that last bit towards putting the costume on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd like to have known how we got out of prison. Yeah, he was just missing and he just scratched into the wall. Jericho was alive. So we don't really know how he broke out. That's, I mean, that's one thing that when you think about the end of the season is a little bit sloppy on the writing side, which is, firstly, he broke out. Um, are the police hunting for him or is he a hero now? Will we ever mention the fact that he broke out of prison and... 
he was convicted. Well, I'm sure Bruce, he just phoned Bruce now, look, have, you know, get me here. Yeah. <laughs> but then surely he would have realised other things that weren't revealed until the final episode. About what Bruce does and doesn't know. Yeah. yeah also, Connor was wanted by police and was on the front page of the newspapers and on the TV news for beating up the police. So I think there's a few loose ends that they have not tied up very well. Um, but that that's res- that's observations for in a minute. Um, yeah, I can tell from the look on your face that you're anxious to get to the finale. Yeah, I just want to talk about the finale. Um, all right, all right, all right. Uh, I gave this one, I think I gave this one a 7 out of 10. I said it was an improvement over the last episode, but still um, slightly frustratingly slow in getting us to the finish line. I would agree. Next. <laughs> episode 12 was called Fauxhawk. So this was Hank back on the drugs. Dick's now out of prison uh, and kind of keeping a low profile, but goes to visit Deathstroke's wife. Uh, she turns out she knows that Jericho is alive. And then obviously he goes to visit Stu at the oh, Shoemakers. I didn't like that. Okay, so this one has split opinion quite a lot. And you and I are on different sides of the argument on this one. Let's do the Hank bit first. Hank back on drugs? Yeah, I quite like that. So he's had his, his fall from grace. He's in a bad place. He's broke up with Doves. And now he's hit the drugs again. And he's hit rock bottom. I quite liked the fact that he didn't realise how his costume had been quote-unquote stolen. Well, he's got to hit rock bottom again, hasn't he? Yeah. My only thing with this is are we just to presume that by the following day he's not going through withdrawals and is alright because he's back in the costume and fighting with the titans I suppose you don't you, you can withdraw from cocaine but it's not as bad as withdrawing from like heroin okay I to be honest I just thought it was that foot on the gas suddenly we need to rush through everything at the end that we just sort of glossed over it and I suppose he's only been back on it for a couple of days so well yeah that's, there is that um, no, I really liked the storyline. I did think it worked really well. It was sad to see him just sleep with that random woman and kind of almost forget that Dawn even existed because he was in such a dark place. But I think that teams really well with the scene between the two of them in the finale right at the end when he kind of goes back to her and offers like she would just say yes to, to get back together again. So as much as I have reservations about it, I think it was quite well done. I agree. Not a lot going on with some of the other supporting characters in these couple of episodes. You had Rachel and the Gargoyle. Which is never again, we don't really touch I think this is building that. up to next season for that. Yeah. That uh, was weird because like, oh, her soul self is on a gargoyle, but did it come back? But then also we've got all this stuff about was her soul self also influencing everyone all season long, which is going to be quite interesting to... That, I think that was just slowly setting seeds for something for next season for her for when she comes back from where she currently is but we'll talk about that in a second yes <laughs> look at you it's like I want to talk about Nightwing I want to talk about Nightwing uh, right so too Dick, excited <laughs> Dick's storyline in this episode oh I didn't like Stu okay so you didn't like Stu no what didn't you like about it that we've just seemed to be like ah secret identity Pfft, who needs one of them so do you fundamentally disagree with the idea that there is a team of people who make the costumes? Yes. How would you have preferred to have seen the costume be made? By Lucius Fox. Okay. And 
tangentially, could this have been a like dark ops, not quite wrong terminology, team that work under Lucius Fox? But again, it's too many people, though, isn't it? When they're like, "Oh, Master Wayne has prepared yes. this for you." But could there, could there, in theory, be okay? Take the fact that Dick walked through that workshop with no mask on in front of all those people, and they all knew who he was. Take that out of the equation. Say he only went into the upstairs bit and spoke to Stu and said, "I need a new costume," and he said, "Okay, I can do something for you." Do you disagree with the fact that there might be a team of people that do that? Could you feasibly say that? This version of Bruce or this version of Dick could make that costume. No. Okay. So someone had to do it for them. Or at least help. Yes. So I don't necessarily agree with the fact he walked through that workshop with no mask on and that it was all like, Ah, hello, Dick, nice to see you again. Why did you burn that Robin costume? But I quite like the fact that there is a team of people working on the technology for building super suits. That's how I'm looking at it. Yeah, I'll give you that. Very frustrating that the suit started to turn around on that little plinth and you saw a shoulder and that was it. Well, I just, I didn't like that. I mean, I didn't like that Bruce had that suit made for him. It wasn't his suit. It's not his journey to Nightwing. It's his journey to self-discovery and like, oh, look, we've decided you're going to be Nightwing. I was on side with it because it in that episode only looked like Bruce had said to Stu, expect Dick to come by, which is fine. I don't disagree with that. Um, Bruce is always talking to everyone about, you know, he's got his finger in every pie and he's watching everyone at all times. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he would have said to Stu, right, I think he's ready for a costume. He's going to come by. But the fact that in the finale, Dick thanked Bruce for getting the costume made for him was a little bit frustrating. Yeah. I would like him to be like, oh, you know what? I need a new costume. I think I'm going to be Nightwing. This is what I want. Stu, make it happen. No. Oh, I'm going to pop into Stu. Oh, he's done it for me. Oh, wonderful. That's me now. Sorted. I didn't feel it was quite that obvious. Because was, Stu was talking about the fact that they'd been working on new special fabrics and stuff anyway. There was nothing to say that they'd made that suit specifically for Dick, but that's what's implied. It could have been explained a bit better. Yeah, it could have. I would have liked a little bit more of exploration around the journey into coming to that design. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's fair enough. And how did this episode leave you? On the edge. Ready. Ready. I've been ready for, since episode one and series one, let's face it. Come on. Put it on. Would you like to talk about the finale? Well, if we've got time, we're running out of time. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, finale. Titled Nightwing. A word that's never actually said in the episode itself. No, it's so frustrating. I mean, a functioning Nightwing was on screen, fighting, and doing everything that Nightwing would do. The only thing you didn't get was a name. That's true. It would have been nice to be like, I'm Nightwing. Or call me Nightwing now. Or call me Nightwing. I would imagine quite early in season three, someone's going to say to him, what are we supposed to call you now? This isn't Robin. Although, to be fair, Bruce did say to him, this is clearly not Robin anymore. Yes. Right. So, where do you start with this one? Uh, Opening scene. Okay. Opening scene. Go. Oh, my God. (laughs) Is this a running commentary of your emotions whilst watching the episode? It was. It was high. It was a high emotional roller coaster. There was a scream of sticks. There was 
electric shocks. There was flippity floppity. There was flippity floppity. He was all over was the place. Was that his acrobatics? That was his acrobatics. It was uh, just everything I'd ever dreamed of. Watching your face was quite interesting because he dropped onto the car and you knew he was coming and then you saw the first shot of him on the roof of the car and you were just sort of like <gasps> and then he got the escrima sticks out and did that thing where he sort of waved them around himself with the electricity flowing out of them and I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to drop off the sofa it, it was it was intense i have to admit how do you feel about the costume uh in function beautiful because you weren't sure about it you no, told me you didn't like it when yeah. I showed you the photos and the it reveal. Looked, it looked very shiny and plasticky, but in live action, flipping and dipping and doing what he does, it was, it was very good. Well done. Well done, Stu. Yes. So it's actually made out of some 3D printed and some handcrafted elements. It's the actual costume. Sorry, I'm talking about it from a like a real life perspective now, not within the basis of the show. So it is, it's a mix of different elements that were all put together onto that one suit that's underneath. And it looks like they don't have to remove any parts of it for him to do stunts either. It looks like it's almost it almost is a fully functioning suit. My only thing that I'm not so sure about is the is the boomerang in the chest plate. Well, I just hope that that never pops out and gets used because it's a bit weird. <laughs> it is a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, so um, stick with the ball sticks, the screamer sticks. Warner Brothers held a costume reveal event uh, a couple of days before the premiere of the of the finale, and there's a feature read about it, which is I think on YouTube, but was also on DC Daily. And the costume designers talk about all the different elements of the new suit. And one of them was that they wanted to call back to the Robin R and how they built that into a ninja star in the in the suit that you saw in season one. So the middle of the, the Nightwing chest plate, the blue bird, he can press that and it is basically a ginormous boomerang that he can throw, apparently. It's too big. It's very, very big. Imagine him hitting the heat with that. Yeah. Okay, so Nightwing's fight with Deathstroke. Epic, but too quick. It was over very fast, wasn't it? It was like build up, build up, build up, build up. Oh, and that's it done within about five minutes. It's quite interesting because obviously they then work in Ravager, who we finally see in her whole costume again in the present day. Uh, I liked that she didn't side with Deathstroke. I liked that they were able to fight and they were quite sort of well matched in the fight. But I do think that he was dispatched a little bit too easily at that point. Yeah, it was a bit too much. Like, oh, he's gone. Next. But then interesting to hear that there is apparently a cutscene that would have been a post-credit moment where he woke up in hospital. Because I didn't think it was possible he would be dead. We've seen him and her heal from too much. Well, exactly. I mean, a wee sword in the gut's not going to do very much for him, is it? Yeah. Not when she popped herself back together after a car crash. So how do you feel about the end of this Titans version of the Judas contract? It was just a bit, I don't know. I would have liked a little bit more. Yeah. I would have liked a little bit more about Jericho as well. So is he just going to live inside of her now? Or is he going to pop out and become his own person again? Can he pop into a dead body? don't think so. So he, there's no way for him to inhabit someone without them being stuck somewhere. I can't remember. I think in Titan's Hunt, he popped out and then sort of materialised a body. Oh, right. Because I remember reading it thinking, oh, that's weird. <laughs> he just sort of like phased back into existence. Okay. I remember I'm remembering that wrong. No, you would know better than I. It's been a long time since I read it, but I'm sure I'm pretty sure he sort of phased, he popped out of Slade and then phased back into existence. I do think it wrapped that part of the series up a little bit too quickly, but it did give a lot of room for what came next. So then we had to fight Gar and Connor. Yeah, that was a bit 
it felt like there was a lot of stuff to fit in at the end and this it did it felt like we went really really slowly for a while and then suddenly it was like right end wrap everything up quickly which is a shame it felt like a bit like trying to go on all over again yeah yeah so it's like oh no pacing guys pacing two episodes I agree. I think the beginning of the season was paced a lot better than the end. I thought in the middle they slightly lost it, but the story was still really good. And then we had a bit of a dip, and then we rushed through the the conclusion a little bit too much. I did really like Gar and Rachel. I liked that we called back to how he saved her in at the end of season one for her to save him at the end of this season. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, I like the relationship. It's quite nice. It is, isn't it? Um, there's no sort of. I mean, I know they're teenagers, but there's no sort of sexual chemistry between them. I don't really feel that there's anything romantic that's happening between them. No, I think they're just bombers. Yeah. Is that what the kids say these days? <laughs> um, and it's nice. That's quite refreshing. It's a bit like Dick and Donna in a way. Yeah, yeah. They're bombers as well. I like the fight between Connor and Donna. Whoa, that's going to get difficult, especially considering that's her real name. And I always call her Connor, even though she's Donna in the show. Oh, yeah, she's Connor Leslie. Yes. So Donna and Connor... Donna Connor Donna and Connor. Josh Connor. Josh Connor, yeah. Um, I thought it was a good fight. I thought it was sad that that's the first time we've seen Wonder Girl using her full potential. So there was some lasso, there was some punching. She was moving quite quickly. She was able to hold her own in that fight really well. Uh, I liked the whole. I liked the way they suddenly went really teenagery, and Dawn was a bit like, "You go talk to him. Like just, he doesn't know who we are. Go just like go talk to him. Like you do well." I thought it was quite funny. Wish she'd wear her goggles a bit more, though. Oh, again, secret identity, guys. Put the bloody goggles on. But that does all lead us to a particular point in the story, doesn't it? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Is it too emotionally raw for you? I can't I can't even bring myself to talk about it. No? No. So again, we're both on two different sides of the argument here. Or, well, I'm sort of halfway in between. First major death of Titans. Donna Troy. Wonder Girl. Rest in peace. Until next season. Thoughts? Oh, I just can't. I mean, it's just too sad. She's so, my fa- I think, uh, you know, it was my favourite episode of Series 1. She's always been a firm favourite of Mings. To then have her killed off by, you know, putting her finger on a plug socket. <laughs> right. Seems a bit far-fetched. I appreciated how she died. I mean that in that I liked that she died by doing something, you'll say it's not, but heroic. So if, if someone had to die, if we're saying that someone had to die in this episode so that they could do what they did next, and it had to be her, I'm glad that she died... Not by a stray bullet of Deathstroke or in the fight. I like that she died doing something heroic as an act. That makes sense? Yeah. She saw her friend was in trouble. She saw that massive ride, whatever it was, was going to collapse on those people and kill them. And she just stepped in, regardless, completely selfless act, saved everyone. I don't know, okay, it killed her in the process. Some argument as to whether it should have killed her, considering she could fight a Kryptonian. But, you know what? Story called for it, unfortunately. It was just a bit, I don't know, it was like, oh, I'm being electrocuted, boom, gone. <laughs> okay, 
medical brain, what happens when someone gets electrocuted? Well, I've never seen an Amazon get electrocuted before. Ignore that. What happens to a human being when they get electrocuted? Well, it depends on how much current and... If you were electrocuted and died, you would drop dead. You would drop dead. So, from a physical standpoint, she she died the way you would die if you were electrocuted. But she's an Amazon. <laughs> I know that, but I'm just... I'm just saying, from the point of view of the argument that she just dropped... She's potentially a daughter of Zeus. Yeah. And about electricity, I mean, come on. Well, exactly. It runs in the family. It does. <laughs> Where do you go from there? Give, come on, give me your wisdom to counteract the daughter of an no, electric No, 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 no. Oh, no, no. I don't, I don't argue with that because I think that's right. I don't know that the mechanics are quite right that she died. What I mean is... I know a lot of people have said, oh, it's really silly the way she just sort of went onto that plinth after it fell. But if I was to get electrocuted, I would also just go... Well, because that's you. <laughs> I know, but we're just <laughs> looking at the mechanics of a, of a person dying. Well, no, and I agree with your mechanics. Of if you were to get electrocuted by a carnival ride that then fell on top of you, I would expect you to die. Yes. If an Amazonian was to get electrocuted and then... Stop! I'm not talking about that. I'm just, I'm just saying this is a comparison. <laughs> if you're the control and she is the subject, I'm talking about the the mechanics of someone falling over after being electrocuted. Yes, if it was enough shock and current, they would die instantly. Thank you very much. Or it could take several days, depending on the path of the car. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, but then, how do you feel about what happened next? Because the episode spent a lot of time focusing on how the Titans, individually and as a group, reacted to the fact that she died. So I thought the emotion... Um, I was about to say the emotionality. I'm not sure that's a word. A um, word. The whole slow-mo thing of them carrying her back into Titans Tower I thought was really nice. I thought the funeral scene where they brought the, the coffin out of the car was really nice and having the Amazonians there to fly her back to Themyscira. I thought that was all really nicely done. Um, interesting decision to have... Raven, Rachel, go to Themyscira. Well, I suppose it's an easy way to sort of explain magic. Well, let's send her off to the magical realm of Amaz. True. Of Themyscira. Yeah. Let's not say, oh, she has to go and, you know, into the other dimension and meet with the priests of Azar. But maybe, maybe she'll find it out when she goes to Themyscira. I just wonder if it leads to one last episode for Connor Leslie where we get to see her in some sort of midpoint afterlife and Rachel will talk to her and try and bring her back and she'll be like no I've I'm I'm at peace or maybe she's not really dead or maybe she's not really dead because let's face it was that even possible (laughs) (laughs) all right all right but I believe Um, that we've moved on from that sort of point yes uh I really appreciated the fact that it didn't splinter the group no it brought them together didn't it yes but that and I think that is the whole point of why they felt someone had to die was to illustrate that a group who we've now seen break apart and come back together in both seasons wasn't broken by this. Individually, they were broken people, but instead of that splintering them as a group, they stuck together, which I think is why, albeit slightly cheesy, they had We Are Family as the end credit song. Well, no, I think that was because of Starfire. Oh, well, and the fact that the Blackfire arrived. There's that point too. I suppose that you could take it from different angles. She is the disco queen, and that was her sister. So how else do you signify a disco queen sister coming back? <laughs> well, exactly. With the disco uh, anthem, that is. I think it family. probably reflects both, though, to be honest. But 
how did you feel about the fact that they didn't break apart and how that how that dinner scene was between all of them as they kind of remembered Donna? I really liked the dinner scene. There was one thing that really annoyed me about the dinner scene. Which was? Bruce. What about him? Why was he there? We'd been to see Dick. But this is about them solidifying as a team and a family. Yeah. He's Did they the really need him as a crutch to sort of say, you're staying together? He's the Justice League. This is the Titans. This should be them coming out into their own and being their own. Identity. Well, maybe this was that moment for him. Maybe this was the final moment. He had that last conversation with Dick where Dick said, I finally made peace with my past. I can move on. I have a new identity. He said, I'm not sure how we move forward from this. And Bruce said, this is worthwhile. This is your family. This is you keep this together. To me, I, in my head, from watching it, he was just there because he was already at the tower. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, he's been in it quite a lot of episodes and it's the last one so I thought oh let's just have everybody together and I don't necessarily see that we'll have that much of him moving on from this I don't think he needs to be now no we'll have to wait and see I feel like we've used him to help get Dick to the point where he put the, the new costume on and brought his new identity out and it felt like that last few scenes was Bruce saying great you're good I'm happy you're happy. Be your own man. So I suppose he'll have to go back and then start out Jason, because that's been left a bit question marking. He kind of drove off into the sunset, didn't he? Which was interesting. I've seen some people online say, just get ready for Red Hood to arrive next season. <gasps> but him driving off into the sunset and being done with the whole thing doesn't necessarily, to me, signify that he's going to become Red Hood. He needs to die to become Red Hood. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe he's going to die. What, does something reckless gets caught by the Joker and killed off? Could be. But will that happen on screen or off screen? Well, yeah. Can we have the Joker on the small screen? Oh, I only hope we could have the Joker on the small screen. I'm more excited about having more Titans. Well, yeah, exactly. It's sad now that we have to wait, what, 10, 11 months till we have any new Titans? I mean, like, I want an Arsenal and a... Oh, right. Oh, sorry, okay. You meant new Titans as in new characters. Yeah. How did you feel then, just to wrap things up, about that final scene as they all walk down the street, costumes on, apart from Starfire who doesn't have a costume yet? Yeah, she needs to get a costume. I wish. Why didn't Stu get on that? Well, they've now got a very legitimate way to give her a costume. That's true. How did you feel about the Blackfire kind of um, stinger bit at the end? The blob? Yeah. I'm not a fan of the blob. We're past that now, though, because she's here. But is she really here, though? Yes. Or is that another hologram? I don't understand how the blob works. Well, the last one was inside the the soldier man. So the last blob took over the soldier man and she yeah. was like puppeteering him. Yeah, this one turned her in, turned the woman into Blackfire. But is it just her looks or is it really Blackfire? I don't know. But I, mean, I think we're just signifying that Blackfire is the villain. Well, no, I get that, but I just wanted, I don't know, it's the blob. Okay. I don't, I've, I've no issue with it. It's just a simple plot mechanism to get the character into me. They could have just flown over. <laughs> you know, you could have cut it. Well, I suppose a blob is much cheaper than an intergalactic spaceship. Yes. Hovering around going, aha, we've travelled millennia to get here. Yeah. So, okay, I'll, I'll allow the blob. <laughs> you look defeated. I feel, yeah, I mean, you know, 
budget restraint and all that jazz, a blob is probably a lot cheaper than a CGI spaceship and much easier to do. Okay, so how would you score Nightwing out of 10? As in the episode, not as in the character. Oh, as the character and his appearance other than... <laughs> as, the, as the season finale, titled Nightwing. Eight. Okay. And a low eight. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Because it's just too heartbreaking. I'm scoring it an eight. It's just an eight. It's not a high eight, it's not a low eight, it's just an eight. Mine's as a low eight, because, you know... Can't even talk about it it's upsetting me any final thoughts on uh titan season two as a whole um i thought it was good uh, again so really good so the start was a bit oh with with trigon and the end was a bit oh but they pulled it back with nightwing i think they just need, really need to work on their pacing yep and development and sort of structure a bit more i'd like to say a bit more i feel like i'm marking an essay here okay you need to work on your structure and your development it needs to be a bit more consistent i feel I would agree. I would entirely agree. Oh, very good. Thanks for change. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, right, last film. I'm going to talk about this one fairly quickly because we're, we're, we're running low on time. So I'm going to tell you quickly about Knives Out, which I have to try and remember because it's been a while since I saw it. I've not seen it yet. Is it out yet? Yeah, it's been out for nearly a week. Why haven't we seen it? Because we haven't had time. Oh, that's true. We're very busy. <laughs> Before I tell you about it, have a listen to the trailer. I will. I'm very excited. Harlan started out with a rusty Smith Corona and built himself into one of the best-selling mystery writers of all time. 30 languages, over 80 million copies sold. You guys fans? I mean, I don't do much fiction reading myself. Big but... fan. I'm a big fan. Who is that guy? Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. You're famous. The night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. <laughs> and your son, Ransom, did he attend as well? Yes, but he left early. I think Linda was upset. Walt would get a little Irish courage in him. He'd get into it with Harlan. What? Richard said what? Are you baiting me, detective? Attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death. You mean if someone killed him? <laughs> you think one of us, one of his family, Walt, Walt. killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. Harlem was cleaning house. Everyone in the family has possible motives. Was Harlan planning on cutting off Joni? Did he plan to fire Walter? Is Richard having an affair? That's some heavy-duty conjecture. Funny, Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. Up your ass. Very nice, oh, Ransom. Ransom. You gotta do this more right, often. Here. The family is truly desperate. When people get desperate, the knives come out. This is a twisted web. And we are not finished untangling it. Not yet. I keep waiting for the big reveal. All of them lied to me. There is one guilty party behind it all. You know something. Spill it. Oh my god. Tell me what happened to my grandfather. I think 
you have something you want to tell me. Knives Out is written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who you will know from Star Wars The Last Jedi. It is the story of a detective played by Daniel Craig who investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric and combative family. Film stars, as I just said, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Captain America. Uh, You've also got Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, now in Watchmen as the sheriff that got hung from a tree. Tony Collette. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell, Ricky Lindholm, uh, Edie Patterson, and Frank Oz. Frank Oz is in it. I don't know why, but when you said Chris Evans, I thought, from Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. No, that's why I said Captain America. Very good. Uh, Frank Oz was in it. Yeah? Frank Oz? Oh, yeah. You don't hear that is, do you? No. Yoda. Yoda. Ah, oh! Mm. It also has Kay Callan in it, which I completely didn't recognise her. And then when I looked at the cast list, I thought, ah, oh, it's Kay Callan. Martha Kent from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. She's still alive. She's still alive. And she was in this film. She was born in 1936. Wow. I know. Tell me about it. She's in Knives Out, bless her. Um, I'll, I'll show you a picture. Oh, bless her. She's aged, hasn't she? How old is she now? Well, she was born in 1936. Old. <laughs> this film is bloody brilliant. It's absolutely excellent. So I saw this film with Nicola um, at the end of the BFI. We went to... Um, at the end of the BFI? Uh, I saw this film with Nicola at the end of the BFI Film Festival. And I was really pleasantly surprised by it. It's flipping brilliant. And everything that I criticised... Oh, language. <laughs> what, flipping? <laughs> Everything I criticised Ryan Johnson for in The Last Jedi really works in this film. All of that slightly odd humour works in the context of this film because it's not Star Wars, which I realise is harsh towards The Last Jedi, but... Well, it's a bit weird. Yeah. It's a, it's a really excellent film, which I think you will very, very much enjoy. The cast are all excellent. Tony Collette is amazing, as always. Chris Evans is playing really against type now that we know him so well as Captain America. He's completely the opposite of that. Uh, everyone is really great. Everyone gets plenty of moments to shine, considering it's such a huge ensemble cast. Um, Daniel Craig, who is not everyone's favourite person, is also really funny in it and does a good American accent. And it's a great mystery that I actually could not have guessed the ending of. Oh. It's not predictable. Well, that's good. You're always like, oh, that film is so predictable. (laughs) I knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, No, this is is the opposite. This isn't predictable at all. Uh, It's wild. It just keeps twisting constantly. Um, and there's a lot of things that you think you have seen and you think you understand and not what you think they are and things that people say are actually because of something else that happened that you didn't know that gets filled in so it's it's kind of structured um, in a way that uh, so the Christopher Plummer's character has died and Daniel Craig is a private investigator that has been hired by someone we don't know who to investigate how he died uh, it looks like he committed suicide, but no one thinks that that is what happened. People think that he was murdered, and the whole family all turn on each other. They all at the beginning they're all pretending to be best friends, and then you start seeing the cracks between all the different family members, and they actually hate each other, and they all have different reasons for it. And um, you kind of learn about why, but then you also learn about the night of the the dad's death through all of their different experiences, and it pieces together bits of information that you hear from each of them. What were your high points? The whole film. Very There's good. very little to criticise about it. Um, cast are excellent. Story is excellent. Music is excellent. Um, 
possibly went on a little bit too long. How long is it? It is two hours and ten minutes. So not a, not a hugely lengthy film. But there was a point in the middle where I thought, we're starting to drag. But just as it's starting to drag, it picks back up again. Okay, so manageable. Yep, absolutely. So again, you've kind of answered this question, but low points other than length? Just that, really. I can't think of anything else uh, from it that was a was a low point. Um, just just the length. Just the length, yeah. But and that's only that's a very minor query. It was it it didn't even bother me by the end of the film. There was just a, a few minutes in the middle where I, I felt myself starting to drift, um, and it was and I thought, okay, this is going to go on too long, but it didn't. What would you score it? Oh, about ten. I know. Um, Possibly a nine. Is it a high nine? Is it a low nine? <laughs> it would, no, it would be it would be a high eight or a low nine oh, by high your eight standards. Or a low nine. And what was your social media review? Uh, oh, um. I'm always fascinated by these because you spend so long trying to write them down in sort of fifty characters or less, however it is. Yes. Uh. Well, hang on. Let me search through the archives. I said, Knives Out is a masterclass of a modern murder mystery filled with bold twists, hidden clues, and plenty of misdirection. It's funny, ferocious, and intelligent. Okay, you. I was really panicked that you were going to ask me to write one of them after Frozen. Uh, You were supposed to. Oh, it would have been things. It was good. (laughs) Good film. Good film. I liked the songs. (laughs) Uh, yes, so Knives Out is in cinemas now, and I really, really, really cannot recommend it enough. It is a film that you have to go out and see. You really do. Those are all our reviews this week, which leaves only our discussion topic. And this is a hot topic in this household, which is, which order do you watch Star Wars in? Oh, here we go. So you... Are a chronological order type of guy. Well, I like a story to start at the start and end at the end. And I am very much a release order kind of guy. So uh, I put a tweet out which said, It's Geico Pod recording day and we'll be talking The Mandalorian and The Rise of Skywalker. So for a quick poll, we want to know, when it comes to rewatching Star Wars, do you watch in release order, chronological order or other comment below? So this was a poll. I didn't ask people to tweet in unless they had something else to say. So I'm very, very happy to say that 52% of people went for release order. The remaining 44 went for chronological. Oh, sorry, no. 44 went for chronological. I your maths is a bit <laughs> off there. That's terrible maths. Uh, 44% went for chronological order and 4% went for other comment below. With math like that, you get a job in politics. I know. So James Stone said release order always need to see the development of effects in the correct order. Otherwise, it seems weird, which is I'm t- completely with James on that one. Uh, it's very strange to watch it look new, then look old, then look even newer. Uh, Max, which I just this possibly made me completely like fall apart laughing when I read this. Max said, my order is Star Trek The Motion Picture, Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock. Oh, sorry. Wrong thread. To which I replied with a gif of <laughs> Captain Kirk getting smothered by tribbles. And it just says balls. Um, I just thought that was hilarious. Jed Wagman said, I'm doing chronological for this because normally I do release and don't bother with the prequels when I get there. So I want to make sure I do all of them. And True Crime Lab said, release order for sure. But I have to be in a very accepting mood to watch episodes one, two and three. 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't really enjoy 1, 2, and 3 anymore these days. No. But I still feel like that's where the story started. I know, but that's not where the story started cinematically. The story starts with Luke Skywalker. No, but you wouldn't read a book in the middle, would you? But it depends how the book is structured. You've got to think about it. If this was a book, it would be structured to introduce you to what was going on in the present day. And then someone goes back to tell you what happened in the past. I'm just very much that's not the way the story was told in terms of how I saw it at the cinema. So why should I see it any differently now? Oh, all right. All right. Just saying. Just saying. Gang it up on me. <laughs> Uh, well, the internet has spoken, and it is release order, which is unfortunate, because I'm not watching 1, 2, and 3 again, and we start with 4 today. We do start with 4 today. We have 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 left to go, and then we're done. We've not got a lot of time left, though, have we? No, it's, that's why we're doubling up in the future. That's it for this week. What's coming up in a couple of weeks' time? Stuff? Some sort of crisis? <laughs> yes. So two weeks from now, we will have had parts one, two, and three of Crisis. We will be mid-crisis. We'll be in a crisis. I feel like I'm always in some sort of state of crisis these days. <laughs> it's not very good, is it? No. Uh, so we'll have that. That's going to be the main thing, I think. Films we will have seen. We will have been to see uh, Playing With Fire, the John Cena film from Paramount and Nickelodeon Studios, which is coming out soon. Oh, well, actually, it's coming out on Boxing Day, but we're getting to see that next week. We will also have seen Jumanji, The Next Level which is the sequel to the version with The Rock. It's the next film in that little bit of franchise. So that's a Sony Pictures release, which is coming out, I think, on the 11th of December. Uh, we're seeing it this week, but we're not allowed to talk about it until the 10th. Uh, so we'll be able to talk about it in our next uh, episode. We're also going to see Mr. Elfman. We're also going to see Danny Elfman live. Yep, yeah, we're going to see The Nightmare Before Christmas uh, with an orchestra and Danny Elfman and Catherine O'Hara performing, which will be very exciting. We'll also be going to see The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. At the cinema, because <laughs> we're seeing it at the cinema as well. It's a very heavy name for Christmas week. It's Well, it's just it's that period. It's the nightmare before Christmas period. So until next time, I have been Neil. I have been Sassy Pants Martin. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Bye. <laughs>